0: Segabits presents SEGA TALK, a podcast talking all things Sega. with your hosts, George and Barry. Look, it's a giant talking egg. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to you. And welcome to Sega Talk. I'm Barry. With me is my host George. Hello, everyone. And are we dreaming? Because I feel like uh, we're going to be talking about uh, nights into dreams. That was the worst segue ever. Um, yeah, it's nights into dreams. This episode on Sega Talk. It's a 1996 game for the Sega Saturn. You may have heard of that. You remember the Saturn, George?
1: Yeah, I remember the Sega Saturn. Right. It was one of the it's one of the planets, right, in our solar
2: system.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, But uh, Nights into Dreams, it was a little game that released on the Saturn, and it was Sonic Team's basically uh, uh, answer to Sonic the Hedgehog. You know, they they didn't give us a Sonic game on the Saturn, they did give us Nights into Dreams. And we're going to talk about that. So let's dive right in. So Sonic Team was working on the concept that would be Nights into Dreams since the development of Sonic the Hedgehog 2. But it didn't actually begin development until after the release of Sonic and Knuckles, so this is this is not something they like threw together last minute. Like Sonic 2, if you can imagine, they're behind closed doors talking about Nights into Dreams. That's that's kind of crazy. And you also have to think
1: like these teams in this time were like really small, so they did a lot of things. If you look back at their history, they did a, like they did Sonic, they did a trilogy plus Sonic and Knuckles, and then they did Res- Restar. And then mm-hmm. now they're they're working on this at the same time. It's like they had all these ideas, always trying to, like, uh, make new IPs. Like, they didn't want to stick with Sonic, it seemed.
0: Yeah, and that's really interesting because, you know, Sega, they were pushing the Saturn. And as a kid, I could tell, even I could, like, see around kind of the marketing BS where it was like, yeah, you've got 3D Blast, you've got Sonic Jam, you've got, uh, you know... And I was like, these aren't real Sonic games. You know, Where where's my real Sonic game? Meanwhile, Nights into Dreams is there with the Sonic Team logo. Uh, and the game was directed by Sonic Team veteran Naoto Oshima, who was basically the character designer before this on uh, all the Sonic games, correct? Yeah. And Yuji Naka was the producer and programmer. And then uh, our good friend Takashi Izuka headed up the game's design. And so you've got three big-name Sonic Team players behind this game. And what could go wrong?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people would consider these three people like the, I guess, the Triforce of Sonic Team, right? Like, yeah, a lot yeah, of people look sure. at these people fondly.
0: Yeah. And I mean, nowadays, it's just azuka really. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, Oshima, he took on the role of director. He also designed the characters and the world of Nights, so it was it was really his baby, though I feel like Azuka also really holds the game close to his heart, and, you know, we, we saw that in the later years. Um, but Oshima, he wanted the character to resemble an angel that could fly like a bird. How poetic. So, George, our first talking point on this Sega talk are what are your thoughts in the change of art style coming from Sonic the Hedgehog to Nights into Dreams?
1: It's actually kind of interesting. Like, they took a totally different approach. I feel like Knights kind of reminds me more of, like, Peter Pan, even though they never called it their influence. It kind yeah. of, like, he's wearing, like, little jumpers and, like, tight pants. And it <laughs> and Sonic is, like, a weird, like, oh, look at me. I'm, like, mischievous little smile. Uh, totally different design, I feel. Uh, I don't know if I like Knights better design-wise. I know a lot of people are probably going to hate me for this. <laughs> but I feel like... It didn't invoke the feeling that Sonic did. It's more, uh, I guess, I don't even know how to describe it. I don't know. The look is just so strange. Like, when I was a kid and I w- looked at Knights, I'm like, what is this? What? Like, this guy in really tight purple spandex. Is not something yeah. you think is very marketable.
0: <laughs> I mean, we know full well that Sonic the Hedgehog went through a huge design and development process. You know, everyone from... Uh, Tom Kalinski and Al Nilsson of Sega of America and, you know, uh, Japanese executives. Like, everyone played a part in shaping Sonic. And it was definitely a, <laughs> uh, a process that caused a lot of headaches, a lot of arguments. But in the end, it worked out. And I feel like for Nights, there's a lot less... Um, what am I trying to say? Like, there there aren't that many cooks in the kitchen with Nights into Dreams. I feel... I, I don't know how much say Sega of America had and how much executive involvement there was, but it feels... Like you said, you know, you, you, you didn't latch on to Nights as a kid. And I feel... I personally think from a marketing standpoint, that's a mistake on Sega's part. However, it also kind of feels like the game had less of a... Uh, executive dictation you know what i mean and i feel like you get that from a lot of the saturn games they feel they feel like a lot a lot of the teams were allowed to do what they wanted to do
1: and yeah and sometimes it's not mark you know marketable for an audience in america it's just like they were thinking about japan and what they would like over there but yeah. m- here's my think: do you think this game would have changed immensely if all these ceos and uh people had a say into the in the game you know like what direction they would go i think
0: knights probably would have become more edgy i mean you look at some of the stuff coming out of europe and america at the time you look at a lot of the you know saturn games like uh bug he was he was kind of edgy you look at bubsy you look at um just about anyone around that era and knights seemed very pure like you never saw knights do that little like evil smirk. He never did an evil face. He was always happy and, you know, angelic, as Oshima was trying to uh, convey. And also, it, it, Knights didn't have much of a personality, really.
1: No. And it's kind of like a your dream persona, you know, that was the whole thing. But mm-hmm. it's also, at this time, PlayStation was really launching more adult games. Like, you know, they were doing their whole twisted metal and, like, big strong burly men you know we were still coming off of the whole 90s uh early 90s image comic book super buff men craze and it's kind of weird that knights is a game that they thought would i don't know sell a sega saturn
0: yeah there definitely was a lot at the time in the mid to late 90s this kind of it was almost like an alternative kind of uh Like, Smooth Jazz was big, Kenny G, you know, it's, (laughs) it's, 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 and Knights is kind of the Kenny G of Sega games. It's like, it, there's really nothing, even the villains, they're not that, you know, evil, I guess, I don't know, just nothing really grabs me, and and this isn't a, a criticism of the game, really, nothing grabs me as being, like, edgy, or, uh, uh, Attempting to like say like, and that's the funny thing about the commercials is that they tried to do that, but then when you play the game, you're like, there is absolutely nothing like snarky or edgy. You you before we recorded, you mentioned that commercial with the uh, the PlayStation being dropped out the window, and they're like, fly, play plaything, fly, you're not ready, and it's like, yeah, it nights. was really, yeah. it was
1: really badly trying to do what an L and the guys at Sega did in Sega of America before this, but without much of an edge like the edge just felt soft like oh you're just making a commercial mocking the PlayStation because it can't fly that makes no sense.
0: (laughs) Right and I mean Sonic was edgy whereas Knights wasn't and so when you make a commercial trying to play that up but the screens and the character really isn't supporting that it kind of falls flat. Um, Yeah to be honest I think the commercials would have been a lot better had they played up the the dream world and the 3D world and Just more gameplay, Um, but let's let's delve in a little bit into the development of this game. Let's get deep. Uh, So while the game's light on story and focuses more on gameplay, the game itself was influenced by the theories of psychoanalysts Carl Jun and Sigmund Freud, and the game was very much about dreaming and REM sleep. And so the story itself revolves around two playable characters known as Elliot Edwards and Clarice Sinclair what nice names, who are two teens, they look like little kids, but I guess they're kind of teenagers, uh, from Twin Seeds, who both have issues in real life. So Elliot, he's a basketball player who was humiliated on the court, and Claris is a talented singer who has stage fright. And so when they sleep, they travel to Nightopia, Nightopia where they are personified as knights and save the dream world, and then in effect, knights influences them in their real life and gives them the the strength to uh, pursue their ambitions yeah and that's
1: uh, that's the story <laughs>
0: yeah and so I mean when when you cut out the dream world stuff it's like it's a girl overcoming stage fright and a kid trying to learn how to be better on the court <laughs> you know it's
1: a uh, very PG uh, I guess like very family uh home movies from the 90s kind of story you know like you could do better you know mr rogers sort of stuff and that you know that's good especially considering this is a kid's game aimed at kids yeah.
0: um what i mean what are your thoughts about the story barry um to be honest i mean i never really followed the story in the game until later I, I got the game in 1998 and i actually i did play it on a mall kiosk at the time it released for maybe 30 minutes uh and i just i was blown away but the the plot itself really didn't grab me until the Archie Comics adaptation, actually, which may it was. I know there are people who hate the Archie a- Comics adaptation. I like it because Patrick Spaziente um, did the art, and he's awesome. I've never read the soccer. Archie
1: comics. Can you tell us the story in that one?
0: Well, it's basically this story. However, they make a lot of really interesting connections. So, for example the um the giant bouncing enemy i think its name's uh, like puffy or something like that she is actually a uh, personification or like a dream version of clarice's music teacher and then and so all of these like nightmarins are actually things that affected the kids in real life and they actually explore how the kids meet and they explore like this in the, uh, the cutscenes in the game, there's like this bully that's given Elliot a hard time. He really doesn't get much screen time in the game, but in the comic, he's actually kind of like the, uh, the Draco Malfoy, you know, of the story. And so, I, I mean, the whole Twin Seeds thing, too, they, they actually expanded on that, and they had a whole backstory to the town. It was pretty cool. The art's a little over the top, but um, overall, I mean, it's, it's worth checking out if you always thought there was something there to... The story of nights into dreams but you want a little more to it
1: and that's actually what i was going to come to like they're supposed to say a lot of people say that oh it's supposed to be them conquering their i guess f- what they're scared of in real life uh in this dream world but i felt like they didn't really connect the dream world with their real life that well like you said right now the bully comes in as a character in the in the in the in the, in the comic books but yeah in this in this they don't really make that connection like that like the bosses should have been kind of related to each of their specific stories and stuff, but they didn't make that connection in the in the game. And I felt like yeah. I, I didn't even know the story to be honest with you until like I read about it later. I liked the cutscenes and I'm like, oh, this guy, this girl likes to sing. This guy likes to play basketball. All right, let's play the game now. Yeah. Yeah. Like I didn't make the connection that they were trying to like. I didn't. I didn't really make the connection with the story. I don't know why. I guess it was something I wasn't interested at in, interested at the time. And I guess it's because we grew up at the gen- before this generation without many like much story. There wasn't that much story in games for us. It was all about going right in and playing the game.
0: Oh, no, exactly. And I mean, a lot of the story is in the manual at the time. And if you were a kid like myself who came late to the Saturn and you bought, like you went to, uh, I think the store was called Game Busters. And they were selling all these Saturn games for like four bucks each. So I bought, like, every fighting game, all these action-adventure games. It was just the disc. I never got the manual, so I didn't know the story going into most of these games.
1: And that's how I actually bought Knights. I actually bought it, there was this place called Jensen Video here. I don't even know, I don't think it was local. But uh, they ran out of business, and they had all their Saturn games uh, for sale. And uh, I was just going flipping through them, and I bought it finally. Because, I, I mean, we were kids, we couldn't afford games, we had to get them cheap. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I bought it, and I didn't re- even read the manual, to be honest with you. I just flipped through it, yeah. but uh, got right into the game, and I thought I had a good time without the story.
0: So let's get back into the development of the game. There's actually an interesting story here with uh, Yuji Naka. So Nights in the Dreams is the f- is considered the first 3D title by Sonic Team, but the game actually didn't start out that way, according to a 1996 interview with Sonic Team's Yuji Naka, and all. Quote. I won't do my Yuji Naka voice, because I don't, I don't think I've ever done one. He said, It turned out to be a completely different game from what we first imagined. We initially planned to make a game about a flying character, rendered in beautifully drawn 2D sprite art, a side-scroller closer to feel in, uh, in feel to Sonic. Our team had spent most of its time making Sonic games on the Mega Drive, and to be honest, at the time we simply didn't know what the Saturn would be able to do 3D of this caliber. So we put our efforts towards making the most visually appealing 2D sprite game we could. As the development went on, however, we gradually came to realize that the Saturn could handle whatever we threw at it.
1: I don't believe the ending either, dude.
0: <laughs> <laughs> But how nice of Yuji not to say that in 1996 when the Saturn clearly needed people to buy it. But, um, but th- that is interesting. So it started off as a 2D game. What do you think about Sonic Team making the game 3D instead of 2D?
1: I think it was good in the end because uh, the Sega Saturn needed more 3D games. And I think this is one of the best looking 3D games on the console. Mm-hmm. so if they didn't make it i i think it would have one less game and you know how Sega of america was with their uh, 2d releases i don't think it would have been pushed as big as it was i don't think we would even be talking about them right now as highly as it is this is like the second tier sonic team game like this game comes out all the time there's always cameoing everywhere oh, so yeah. it wouldn't be as popular if it wasn't for it being three D and getting a huge marketing budget that it did
0: at the time. Oh for sure. And I I mean the game could work as two D. In fact it has worked as two D. There was that um that unlockable version of Knights on the Game Boy Advance. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. And it it played I mean, I thought it played perfectly. It was, like, totally fine. They they totally could have made a, a 2D version of Knights for the Game Boy Advance. They were remaking all of those uh, Sega games back then. I don't know why they never did a full Knights. Um, but, I anyway, I actually,
1: I would love to see this game in 2D. I wanted to see what they worked on, how the sprites looked. I, I wanted to see Sonic Team try to make a really nice 2D game on the Sega Saturn because... The Sega Saturn's strong point was that it could do 2D really, really well with nice animation, and I think oh, Sonic sure. t- Sonic Mania is going to be the closest we're going to get, at least to Sonic on Saturn. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I would like to see what they would, how this looked in 2D. I hope we get a leak one day.
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, especially this would be the team coming off of uh, Sonic and Knuckles, so if you can imagine them pushing 2D gaming even further after that, and. You know, you know, I mean, Yuji Naka, he's being nice in this quote. He said, they realized the Saturn could handle whatever we threw at it. I personally think the Saturn could handle whatever 2D stuff they threw at it, for sure. But 3D, I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, and so the game... I mean, my opinion, of course, the game should have been 3D. The final game is... It is kind of 2D, though, isn't it? I mean, you think about it, you're on a track... Though it does twist and turn around, you have that 3D movement, at least in the 2D plane.
1: Yeah, it's still 2D kind of like thought out. You could tell that they designed the game in 2D and then they just made it polygon. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because the reason they didn't want to make it 3D is such a bizarre reason. They said because TVs are flat. What does that mean? Like, that
0: makes no sense
1: yeah that makes no sense in the interview after that they say oh the TVs were flat That are flat so we decided that 3D probably wasn't the best course of action like who what why would you say that
0: like that doesn't make any sense to me <laughs> they're still flat you're making 3D Sonic games who cares I do think it's interesting though because in Nights into Dreams before you enter the um, what are those things called like an idea palace I, I, I don't remember the, the lore but the little cage that Nights in you're walking around as the kid and you do get a taste of 3D in that because when you when you run out the clock and you become the kid again you can run around the map yeah but it's it's very disorienting it's n- definitely not the strong point of the game but it does make me wonder if this was sonic team like testing the waters of 3D you know
1: yeah for sure and you could tell it is but it wasn't well developed at all like no it was very like you jumped on things it was slippery hills didn't feel any nothing felt like you were really walking and felt great but i think they in my opinion they should have just made it when the time ran out you woke up and that's it that's what i would have done uh and just kept it flying because i felt like that was the strongest point of the game anyway
0: yeah, like you wake up and then you do a mini game where you're running to the fridge to get more Nyquil or
1: something. <laughs> yeah,
0: of course, sleeping pills. <laughs> the kids are self medicating themselves to go back to sleep.
1: You got to get the the glowing orange bottles.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, moving on, uh, the game's levels are split in half between Clarice and Elliot, each getting three, with both repeating the last stage, giving the game a total of seven levels. So while the game was super short, even to this, even for its day. Did have a lot of replayability thanks to the gameplay design. So the game had a timer allowing you to fly, zipping through loops and collecting orbs. The stage's goal was to collect twenty blue chips and then turn them back in at the starting point. Actually,
1: it's and the a cage, game, but yeah, I mean, you have to yeah. go
0: all the way, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, but you you would soon learn because. I mean, and, and I'll get back to the, what we're you know we're talk, talking about here, but you'd soon learn that you'd get all twenty blue chips. You'd rush back to the cage and go da 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 da, and it would be like F. <laughs> yeah, like and that's I did it though.
1: I wanted to say something about that actually. The Wikipedia article that I got most of the information from, um, they said that you, the the point of the game is to get to get a good score. You have to get all the way back as soon as possible, and that's a lie. Like they didn't yes. even get that right. That's not the point of the game. That's not how you get good scores at all. You have to basically try to go as around the laps like a racing game and memorize Mm -hmm. the stage and try to get as many as much score as possible and then in the last second try or as you know the clock running down try to get to the end to the start point and then finish the level which is kind of hard. I mean what was your opinion on that in the gameplay of Knights?
0: When I learned that, it was a game changer for me. Because I remember when I first played the game, I would, like, fail repeatedly. And I was like, this is bullshit. I'm playing the game. I'm doing what you want. You said get the 20 blue chips. I got them. I returned them. And you're giving me a D. It's like if you went to school and they said, all right, you need to answer 20 questions. You get all 20 questions right and the teacher gives you an F. It's like, what? I did it.
1: And, yeah, and the only thing that I think they kind of screwed up in is that When you see Sonic Team, you think, oh, I'm going to have the mentality of Sonic. I have to go super fast, get to the end as soon as possible. And that's not what the game is about at all. This is totally different. It's more of a racing game, but trying to beat a timer to get to the
0: goal, like under the timer. Yeah, yeah, and like you were saying, you had to learn the track. And so at certain points, you would be on that last like 30 seconds and you'd have to tell yourself, did it take me 30 seconds to get through it? because if it didn't I'm going to have to like get as many chips as I can like bonus chips and then rush back to the goal either forwards or backwards whichever way it's closest and like god help you if you get trapped by something you know
1: yeah um the one of the annoying things I think for the game was that okay so you're doing the laps right and mm-hmm. sometimes the little cuz you know the where you start off it's like a little it looks like a little shrine I don't even know what it is like a little garden thing I don't even know and uh if you go in it, you finish the level. So sometimes I would be playing the game going super fast trying to get, you know, around and around, try to get all the points. Mm-hmm. And then I would I accidentally hit the thing. Like, they would place it sometimes in the later levels so you could accidentally go in and finish the level and kind of screw you over so you had to do it all over again.
0: Oh, yeah. It definitely wasn't out of the way. Like, imagine a game like Daytona USA and you have to drive off the track and go around the <laughs> the checkpoint in order to, like, succeed.
1: Pretty much, um, yeah.
0: And, you know, I think that's my one complaint about the game. I feel like they could have designed it better at that point. So, okay, let's say, for example, you get the 20 blue chips. Instead of acting like you did it, it's time to go back to the goal, they should have said, like, um, like bonus round. And it would say, this is your current grade if you bring it back right now. and And then as you collect additional chips it would show you like the bonus points you're getting and then the the grade would go upwards, you know?
1: Yeah, like giving you a, a sense that you're accomplishing something. Because before, like you would just, in this game, you would just go around and around and pray that you get yeah. an A in it and then you move on. And then, and then since it was more than one run, each level had like four runs, right? So they yeah. slightly changed the level around. All right, you screw up a couple of runs to Cs. That's it. You're not going to get an A in the whole thing. Because it adds them up in the end, making you replay everything again.
0: Yeah, and I think a game that did this well was Crazy Taxi. And that's another game where it's kind of like you go real fast, you gotta, you know, collect the points, and then at the end, you get your license. However, unlike Crazy Taxi and Knights, you know, it was like you, they told you, you did it, you did it, you're done. Go back to the, the cage. Oh, wait, you got an F. Whereas with Crazy Taxi, they made it very clear that you need to race out the clock, you know, and do as best you can.
1: So uh, when you first played this game, did you figure that it was going to be, uh, well, closer to a racing game? Because it technically is closer to a racing game than a Sonic game. Because it's not like a Sonic game at all. You know, there's, there's no platforming. The only thing that's like Sonic is that you're going fast.
0: Yeah, that that definitely surprised me. I didn't know that there was there were courses as you went around. So I would go, and then I'd be like, "Oh, I'm going in a circle. That's interesting." Um, and then, of course, like I mentioned, that that little surprise where you actually have to keep playing the game down and run the clock down. Um, of course, that was a surprise to me. And but uh, it's I also, loved it. It's also totally
1: different than anything else at the time. Like. I think the reason a lot of people were confused and didn't know you had to run the clock down is because I can't think of any game that had a gameplay like this at all.
0: No, even to this day, I can't think of anything.
1: So, I mean, Sonic Team did something really unique, and they took a risk. Kind of mm-hmm. weird, though, to take a risk on a mascot game that's supposed to sell a console. But hey, Sega, Sega, and that's why we
0: love them, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, and I, I don't mean to sound down on the on the game, because now that I know the rules... I love this game, it's one of my favorite Saturn games. One of my favorite Sonic Team games, I mean... A lot of people,
1: I feel like a lot of people kind of talk down to this game uh, recently because I don't think they understand the gameplay, and it feels very, um, I don't know, like, you have to, people want to be you know, uh, their hands held, they just want to get Mm -hmm. there, get fast, get the score, get the high score and move on. And they don't want to, you know, put in the work to memorize all this and get there as fast as possible and get all the points.
0: Yeah, it's it's an interesting note too that um, you know with the with the letter grading that felt really weird to me at the time, but then Sonic Adventure rolled around and Sonic Adventure Two and just about every Sonic game since letter grades are a huge deal in your score.
1: Oh yeah, and uh, do you think that this game had influenced that for Sonic Team? Oh, like
0: absolutely. I mean, you look at Azuka; he became a, a big name player, especially in Sonic Adventure, Sonic Adventure Two, so. And I mean, considering he kind of, you know, this was one of his babies. Now, okay, now I, I definitely n- think now so. that we
1: we're they were talking about this whole letter grading. Do you think that you would want to see something like this in the
0: old Sonic games, like one, two, and three? I I wouldn't mind it. I I never felt like this. Sc- I never really knew how good my score was. You know, at the end, outside of oh, I'm I got an extra life. I guess I <laughs> I guess I did pretty well because. You know, Sonic games never had the um, high score screen, did they?
1: No. Uh, no, they just gave you a, like, a random number score, I think.
0: Yeah, but it wasn't like enter your initials on no. any of the games. Uh, no, not that no. I remember, no. No, the I, I guess what I'm thinking of is the battery backup games, but those were more just like, here's your personal info, you know, like how far you've made it in the game. And so I think the letter grades are a really great idea just to make you understand what your score is how good your score is. And I think Generations nailed that with the um, the progress jar bar uh, that they had.
1: One thing I didn't write in, in the notes, but uh, I kind of want to discuss a little bit, was the A-life on here that supposedly um, kind of influenced Sonic Adventure's child system. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your thoughts on it? Did you ever mess around with it when you got the game? I never even knew this existed, I'm going to be honest with you, until I saw like a big article on, uh, I think, Knight's fan site. And Mm -hmm. I was like, "Wait, what is this? I never even knew this existed." And you have to, you could basically make everything good. And there's like Mm -hmm. this whole like nature thing. Do you remember about this? And did
0: you ever do it? I I didn't know about it initially, and then like you, I I heard about it, and I feel like it was one of those um, gaming urban legends that kids would pass around. They'd say, "Oh, you know, in nights, you can actually like kill those little creatures, or like, or like raise them." And then they affect the music, or they'll sing to you. And I was like, "No, you're you're full of it." Yeah. And then I looked it up, and it turned out to be true. And it I, and it wasn't until uh, Christmas nights that they really had the whole. I, I think there was like an A Life uh, thing where you can actually check up your st- your progress. And so that's that's what made it a little more engrossing. But yeah, I I was floored when I found that out. The fact that they went to that extra effort to put that in the game, they didn't need to at all. No, they didn't. They didn't need to, and they did, and that that was just amazing to me.
1: And uh, one thing, one reason I never did it was because um, I never had battery in my Sega Saturn. Because back in the day, you would have to have a battery inside to use the onboard uh, memory card. And Mm -hmm. I was always so cheap. Like I would get money, and I'd be like, "All right, I could either buy a memory card or a game." Guess what? I was gonna buy easy. That was easy choice right there. Oh uh, come
0: on, CR twenty thirty two. You gotta get those.
1: (laughs) I know. Come, I know. It's just the hassle of getting one as a kid. I mean, they ran out. So actually, the Saturn didn't run out that fast, but it it did run out.
0: Um, And it was easy to replace them, unlike the Dreamcast. You could actually access them on the Saturn.
1: Yeah, from the back, little lid. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Which everybody
1: everybody loses. Do you
0: on your Saturn right now that you have have the lid on? I've got the lid, I've also got the VCD card in my Japanese Saturn, so I can enjoy such classics as Dances with Wolves and uh, Beverly Hills Cop, so.
1: Hey, those are I'm classic sa- movies.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about the soundtrack, huh? How about that soundtrack? It's pretty So, good. yeah, the soundtrack was, is, is usually highly praised and was composed by Naofumi Hataya, who worked on Golden Axe 2 and Sonic CD prior? Fumi Kumatani, who went on to compose Burning Rangers, Sonic Adventure, and even Sonic Colors. Tomoko Sasaki, who worked on Virtual Racing Deluxe and Rystar. And Tomoko Sasaki is an interesting composer because at this time she was known as the singing voice of Sonic Team since she wrote and sung Dreams Dreams. And did some voice work as she is heard during sonic team's 1996 jingle is that the uh sonic team team, team? yeah yeah <laughs> which is also in um sonic adventure yep yeah, and uh that's, that's cool
1: yeah it's pretty cool it's like it really shows you how small sonic team was that they had to use composers for voice work like mm-hmm. that wouldn't happen anymore i don't think i think video gaming is so big that you have all these like people working on different assets of your game, and they put something together, they stitch it all together.
0: Well, here's here's a little, I'm gonna see if I can catch you out on this. Here's some Knights trivia. See if you can answer this question. No. So the Knights, you don't even know? The Knights (sighs) Into Dreams soundtrack is, has clear ties to this classic movie. Modern classic at the time.
1: Modern classic at the time. Like, it came out before Knights came out? Yeah. Uh, fuck.
0: And it's kind of weird.
1: I have no idea. I've never really heard about this. It's
0: the the Nights in a Dream soundtrack. They took samples, several samples from this movie. Do you know it? No, I don't know it. Do you know it? Home Alone. Home Alone, really, dude? Home Alone. When when you go to the options screen, and I don't know why they did this, and you're, they're playing that like do 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 do. Remember that, and then you hear the yeah. kids talking and stuff. Those yeah. are the kids from Home Alone like the, the family, and when you hear mom, mom, that's, that's uh, Kevin McAllister going through his house looking for his mom. Is that legal? I
1: don't know, <laughs> I don't think so. It's like they're making a mixtape here, like they're sampling
0: uh, voices from movies and that should be copyrighted, right? Yeah, well I mean Home Alone, that came out in 1990, so we're six years <laughs> later. But um, I know in this episode of Sega Talk that we are not going to be doing the, the movies that came out in 96, because we've already covered that in the past episode for a game that came out in 96. However, I gotta wonder if Home Alone was an influence on them.
1: I mean, it was very... It's funny because a lot of the themes in kind of like the feeling of Home Alone is kind mm-hmm. of... Weird. It's like nostalgia. I don't know. I think it's nostalgic because we watched it back in the day when we were kids. But, like, there's this whole thing about being a kid mm-hmm. that Home Alone invokes, you know? Like, staying home alone and robbers
0: coming in, but you beating them.
1: <laughs> uh, and yeah. this is trying to invoke the same kind of feeling, but with dreams. So I feel yeah, like there's home some Al- connection.
0: Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Home Alone definitely had a modern nostalgia to it. It's, I mean, even in the time, they just nailed that, like, classic Christmas feel. But it, it's interesting because, you know, with the kids and they're, they're going through their problems with basketball and uh, with singing. In Home Alone, Kevin's main issues were he was afraid of that old guy, the shovel, the shovel guy. <laughs> yeah. And he was afraid of the furnace. And, well, Kevin McAllister didn't take a nap or anything and nights helped him. He did kind of face those fears and become a better person for it. And so I have to wonder if when they were talking about, like, what kind of tone are we trying to hit with these kids? What kind of, you know, story are we trying to tell? I feel like Home Alone was definitely a big influence on this game. And I mean, it's, it's at least in the soundtrack, it's evident. And, and it forever, because I love that track, but it has forever changed the way I listen to the game. Because now all I hear is Macaulay Culkin going, Mom, Mom and
1: uh, it's funny because like these kids have these weird problems like mine are way more embarrassing like if they made a pro like a game about my problems like as a kid what I was afraid of it'd be like farting in public and everybody laughing at me and it's like can you make a game about that really
0: yeah mine would be taxidermy
1: really that's what scares you yeah yeah I, it's kind of creepy to be honest like yeah I wouldn't want to touch the animals either
0: so what's what's your favorite track in the game
1: Uh, I, I, it's kind of a hard question. I think the whole soundtrack really flows well together. I feel like, I even like, I really, really like the vocal tracks. Like I know they're cheesy and I know they're like, um, people look down on them nowadays because they're like, I don't know, I guess I would say they didn't age well. And, Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't know. I love them. I don't know something about them. I always, even when I bought the game, even though after the whole thing, I played it and I was like this is fantastic this is I, I like the soundtrack I don't know I can't even it's very whimsical and it really fits with the knights I think it's perfect marriage with each other
0: yeah I agree The all the stage music is fantastic I loved um, Soft Museum I believe it was is that the
1: one where and you uh, every time you touch is that or is that the marshmallow one the one when you touch the ground it like yeah it warps
0: yeah I mean beside the fact that technically soft museum had so many cool effects it had the the fake mirrors when you went in and they they basically i think the trick was that there was a another night's on screen just copying what you were doing but it looked like a mirror and they had the soft ground but uh going back to the ai that's where i became aware of it because this the music would change i would be like oh i, I want to play soft museum again i love that song and i would play it and it didn't sound the same and it was the little Nido- the little, uh, little Nightopian guys the way you interacted with them would change the music
1: oh yeah and it's also kind of like they did this because they had more CD I mean they had a CD they had more memory so mm-hmm. now they could remix songs and redo them and uh, yeah it's like they really took advantage of that CD space
0: on the Sega Saturn and the boss themes were really good I really liked uh, Claws the cat it had a lot of like ding 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 ding, ding, ding. <laughs> like lots of guitar stuff Oh yeah. Uh, just overall it's it's a fantastic soundtrack and even if this was, you know, a Sonic game that Sonic Team were releasing on the Saturn, I think music would have been very important to them. And for sure.
1: I think we talked about this before when we talked about Sonic like Sonic Team could make a really crap game, like gameplay wise and story wise or whatever. But their music, like, they always seem to nail it well enough or really well, like fantastic they do really fantastic work on soundtracks and they pride themselves
0: for sure so let's talk a little bit about the uh the mascot aspect of this game so knights into dreams was hyped as Sega saturn's mascot knights was and from sonic team and a lot of people at the time they were waiting for a follow-up to the highly successful sonic the hedgehog trilogy or quadrilogy But Sonic Team didn't get back to developing a Sonic game until Sonic Adventure on Dreamcast. So, the next question is, do you feel that Sonic Team should have worked on a Sonic game as a priority instead of pushing a new franchise?
1: Um, well, I mean, it depends on who you're asking. Like, if you're asking me as a gamer, probably at the time I probably would have said, uh, yeah. And then if I, as a company person, like, uh, Sega, I wanted the Sega Saturn to succeed, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) why would you, like, you have a guaranteed successful franchise, why would you sideline it for something new? To me, that doesn't make any sense. Especially when the Sega Saturn was doing terrible in America, and Sonic the Hedgehog was literally the biggest mascot in America at the time. I feel like they lost popularity of the Sonic brand uh, during this time. That's why I think they were okay enough to reboot the brand. Like, they gave Sonic Adventure its own look uh Mm -hmm. music changed kind of the direction of the game changed it was more 3d i mean obviously it wasn't 2d side scrolling i felt like if they kept it 2d here that they could i mean with polygon forms i don't know i think it would have been way more successful than knights was
0: do you think that they could have taken the knights gameplay concepts and applied it to a sonic game i mean it would have been a case basically of what sonic team eventually did with um Games like Unleashed and Lost World where they would throw some radical new gameplay concept at you. But do you think something like Knights would apply well to Sonic?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Knights could have been a side game. I feel like maybe they should have canceled Burning Rangers and made this the second game, but focused their first game on the evolution of Sonic. Like, make it a 3D game on this engine, uh, give it some platforming, you know, the, the feel of the Sonic Genesis games and keep Mm -hmm. the score system they had you know give it the a b uh score system and like you said have a progressive system where they tell you on top like if you go now you'll get this score kind of a thing yeah i think it would have been pretty cool i think a lot of people would have been digging that for sure and i think it would have sold a lot of sega saturns in america oh for sure what are your thoughts on it though do you think they should have done Knights or
0: stuck with sonic I mean, like you, I'm kind of torn. As a, as a fan of the Saturn, as a fan of Sonic, I definitely think they needed a Sonic game. I do like your idea of canceling Burning Rangers. I, I do love that game, but man, is it like... I, do, I I just feel like it was kind of a waste of time for Sonic Team. And even now, it's not a game that people go back and play a lot, mainly because they didn't make that many copies of it. But um, it, just, it, it doesn't feel like it succeeded
1: i think at all i think what they were trying to do these flame physics i mean these flames and everything it just didn't work out in this generation like i don't think 32 like we talked about this before like 32-bit 3d kind of aged badly in a lot of senses there's some games that still look good but Mm -hmm. most games did not age good and i feel like i think knights is one of the ones i still could look back and play and go hey this still looks pretty nice i mean for its time but there's a lot of games I look back and I'm like, ooh, what is this? What is this? Why do they do this? And how did I play this when I was growing up? Um, but, I don't know, I feel like um, Burning Rangers would have been better on the Dreamcast.
0: For sure. They should have... I, I don't think they should have killed Burning Rangers, I think they should have postponed it. For, for sure. sure. Yes. Yeah, And just expand Sonic Team, like add some new members to it so that they can release Sonic Adventure. Fantasy Star Online, Choo Choo Rocket, Someday Amigo, oh my god, were they busy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they were busy, and it's crazy how much games, and how small of a team they were. Like, It's ridiculous, and they, (laughs) I can't believe they did, like, quality work back then still, like, I don't know, like, they were just pumping out hits.
0: Yeah, and I mean, of course, behind the scenes, it wasn't always the same people, but they shared staff members, for sure. And of course, the higher-ups were the same. Um... Let's talk a little bit about the control. The controller, I should say. So, Nights into Dreams launched with an optional 3D controller that even came in a bundle. And the team referred to the controller as the Spielberg controller, because Steven Spielberg was the first person to play the game well in development with the 3D controller. The team decided that they would need a brand new controller for the game due to the Saturn's original controller being suited for 2D games. And so, what are your thoughts on the Sega Saturn 3D controller, and do you feel it did its job? Um, I first played the
1: game with the Sega Saturn pad for years, and then, like, uh, when eBay was getting really popular, like, in the early 2000s, I decided, like, I really want to try it with a 3D controller, so I purchased it for, like, a couple bucks. I know, it's crazy now, at least. (laughs) Uh, But uh, I played it with it, and I felt yeah it was way better i felt i always felt like when i played um sat uh knights on the sega saturn with the with a d-pad my finger hurt really bad like i don't know like i guess pressing down the the d-pad and moving around and doing the circle it really 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 ma- makes your finger hurt so yeah, yeah. i yeah. would say that 3d pad is uh, recommended especially once you get older because uh <laughs> you don't have that uh bone stamina like you do uh when you're younger
0: yeah it, I remember it being very strange, um, mainly because I, like you, I played it with the 2D pad. And then I got my Saturn, you know, I had my Saturn, the Dreamcast came out, I played with the Dreamcast controller. I was one of the rare people that was not weirded out by the Dreamcast controller at all, mainly because I was coming off of the Genesis, so I was just like, well of course, 3D controllers look different, because it's a 3D game. And then I went back and I got the, the Saturn 3D controller, and the first thing that hit me was how it was basically a Dreamcast controller. Yeah, it in, was. In, yeah. And the second thing that hit me was how weird the 3D control stick was. Not in a negative way, but I, I have not seen a controller since do what that did. Just the way it moved. It was so weird. It was like an eyeball that you were like gouging and then moving around in the socket. You know? Do you uh, prefer the
1: Dreamcast controller or the 3D Sega Saturn controller design?
0: I, I wouldn't have minded if the the Dreamcast controller had that little that pad like that. That would have been interesting. It's weird it's like
1: I, mean, I don't want to get too much into this but like the Dreamcast controller now like when I came out I didn't have any problem with the Dreamcast controller. I played it I did have problems with it for fighting games, it was very inferior to the Sega Saturn original pad. But, mm-hmm. I mean, they had a really good arcade joystick if you could afford it at the time. But um, the I didn't have any problems with it, but now that I feel it, I feel like it feels cheap, right? Mm. And I feel, I, I think that, I think that the 3D Saturn pad feels higher quality parts, but that's just probably me. I, I think
0: know. the triggers were better.
1: Yeah, I think that's what it is, the triggers. Uh, they probably did it to save money I don't remember how much the Dreamcast controllers cost when they came out, I'm assuming they were like 20 to 30 bucks Mm -hmm. that probably has something to do with it
0: yeah Okay. (laughs) cheap (laughs) pads Um, so when the game released, it was received well by critics, computer and video games said it was the perfect evolution of a Sonic game GamePro praised the 3D controller and Entertainment Weekly wow, I didn't know they reviewed games back then said it's a more compelling sensation of soaring than most flight simulators. Uh, however, the game did get some negative comments at the time. One for the limited levels, which was seven total, compared to Super Mario 64. Oh, boohoo. IGN <laughs> believed that the Sega Saturn console wasn't built to handle nights due to in-game clipping and warping, but came to the conclusion that the game was pretty damn good, or pretty darn good, and then they were probably talking about booth ba- babes for the rest of the so- article.
1: What is, your, what is your thoughts on uh, these comments, like, do you feel like these are uh, warranted? Especially the warping and clipping, considering this is kind of uh, an issue with a lot of PlayStation One games, like, uh, I, w- I went back and played uh, Metal Gear Solid 1, that game has a lot of warping and clipping too, but yeah. I'm pretty sure they didn't mention that in the review. <laughs>
0: nah, I, I really wasn't bothered by that in the game, and I, I think the t- levels thing is kind of unfair just because it's seven total levels, however each one has, what is it, three courses, correct?
1: Something like that, I think three,
0: yeah. Three or four. And then then there's like set pieces, and you gotta imagine, if you're gonna make a... Sonic Team, you know, they're making their first 3D game they build seven worlds, and then on top of that they create multiple paths to go through these worlds, and then on top of that they build all these set pieces, and it all needs to work. I think that's pretty damn amazing. And no hate on Super Mario 64, but let's let's be honest, guys. It's just like, I, I feel like it's a lot easier to lay out a Super Mario 64 level than it is a Knights one. Like, a Knights game is like a plate of spaghetti. Whereas Super Mario 64 is like a lasagna, you know, it's just like flat with layers.
1: And this is also an issue that Sonic Team had with Sonic the Hedgehog. I felt like a lot of people complained that the Sonic the Hedgehog original games had less levels than uh, Mario games like Super Mario World, but Super Mm -hmm. Mario World used the same assets and I felt like a lot of the levels were throwaway levels. You had like some really challenging levels, but I felt like a lot of them I would just breeze through and they were just there to fill the content and make the package feel like it was bigger than it really was. And for sure. Sonic Team on the other hand had limited amount of levels but really well-designed levels. So it's like a potato potato kind of a thing.
0: Yeah, and I mean in the end if you are enjoying the game and if you feel like you want to come back and play it again and again, I don't think that that seven total levels is an issue. I, I When I first played it, I kind of
1: felt it was an issue, but that was before I, I understood how the game played. But after right. I learned, I was okay with it. I felt like there right. was a lot of content there.
0: Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. When you play the game wrong, you race through each stage in minutes. But then you're like, wait, why didn't the last stage open up? Oh, because I need to get better scores. Uh, um, so, in summation, on Nights into Dreams... Do you feel that the game holds up today? Yes. I feel
1: like it's one of the like few Sega Saturn games that hold up today. Uh, there's not that many 3D Sega Saturn games that hold up today, and I feel like this is one of them. This mm-hmm. is one of the games where I could, if anybody asked me, what's the Sega Saturn all about? I'd probably put this game on because the controls are still smooth, I feel. Uh, the, the graphics are fine enough. I know they're 32-bit. I mean, they're Sega Saturn graphics. But this is one of the best-looking Sega Saturn games. This and Virtual Fighter 2, I think, are the two best 3D games on the console. Uh, Do you
0: think it holds up today? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we're just talking the Saturn original, I think it is still a very approachable game despite the uh, drawbacks of the Saturn, technically. I also think that, you know, as we mentioned, if you go into it knowing the rules, you're going to have a very fun time, and I feel like people... I, I, I assume that people you know are a little smarter now at least they, they have the internet and they have wonderful podcasts like Sega Talk uh, telling them how to play games correctly instead of um, you know doing what you you did as a kid where you were like, uh, you push the buttons, this isn't working this game sucks. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, uh, Do you want let's talk about very quickly how people can play this game? So of course there's the Saturn. It also saw re-release on uh, PlayStation 2, correct?
1: Yeah, as a Sega Ages title.
0: In Japan. Yeah. Um, what, else, what else can they find it on?
1: Uh, PSN, Xbox Live Arcade, PC Steam release. Uh, they re-released the PS2 remake, which has uh, supposedly the original Saturn version in it and Christmas yes. Nights. Mm-hmm. But the issue is that I don't feel like the Sega... I feel like the Sega Saturn one in it is still smoothed out, the graphics, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not like the original look of the Saturn, which is kind of disappointing because I kind of like the rough look of the Saturn, but maybe not everybody's like me.
0: And I remember some people complaining that it didn't feel as fluid. It, the the uh, PS2 version, I believe, it like snapped to a directional thing instead of being fully 3D-feeling
1: yeah yeah
0: um but the re-releases later fixed that from what i remember so so you really you have no excuse not to play this game (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: pretty much at this time i mean i wouldn't mind a re-release on the ps4 maybe make the knights game i don't know if it's xbox one compatible i'm not sure about Mm -hmm. that i don't think it is but it's worth picking up on psn and xbox live arcade or steam if you guys
0: have those consoles now, wait a minute, I hear someone on the rooftop. Could it be? It's Santa! Oh. Uh, <laughs> that was my That was my segue into the fact that uh, the Christmas season is upon us, and so George and I thought it would be fun to also quickly cover Christmas nights on this special episode, mainly because I don't think we can stretch Christmas nights out to a 40-minute show. So, let's talk a little bit about that. Christmas night. What was it? What is it? Can I play it? Is it good? So, this was a freebie given away by Sega and Sonic Team, and it's, it's... Don't be confused. It's not a demo. It is a demo, and it isn't a demo. It's probably the, the best demo that isn't a demo ever made. Uh, it's a stripped-down, small version of Nights into Dreams. You only get one level, which is Spring Valley, which is almost identical to the level seen in the regular Nights. However, unlike the original, you can play as Elliot as well as Claris, so that's interesting. And when you play as Elliot, the stage is mirrored. Um, Christmas nights, the, the game itself, it's Christmas themed, and so the graphics and musics were replaced with winter versions of the original stage. Uh, you know, for example, the ideas are now giant Christmas trees. Knights wears a different costume, and the gameplay, but the gameplay is largely identical. And the a life systems there, and it also so, had uh, it also had mm-hmm.
1: like a different cutscene. Like it wasn't CGI; it was uh, hand drawing cutscenes, uh, and it had its own story that has to do with Christmas. And I think the two characters meet in this one. I'm pretty sure they bump they, into each other.
0: Yeah, I feel like it's almost a quasi sequel because I, I feel like this is coming after Nights into Dreams as sort of an epilogue where they meet in the real, in the waking world. And they have to find, I believe, a tree for the, a star for the Christmas tree, which is, you know, very difficult to do. I had to go to, like, Walmart or whatever. <laughs> I um, just ordered
1: mine on Amazon. It was really hard. But, should yeah. make a game about it.
0: <laughs> but what, what's really interesting about this is that the game makes use of the internal clock. And so throughout any of the non-winter months, Christmas Nights just is called Nights Limited Edition, and it's a demo. But between November and January, the game becomes Winter Nights, and then during December, it's Christmas Nights. So that's, that's pretty cool, but obviously you can control the clock. And I don't think any kid was like, Man, it's July, I gotta play Nights Limited Edition, I gotta wait till November? No, we <laughs> we it up about that for sure. Yeah. Um, there, were, there were tons of features too, which is pretty cool. So you could change the clock to special time. So, for example, um, what am I thinking of? New Year's Day, there is a title change um, on the main screen. On Valentine's Day, hearts fall during the stage. On April Fool's Day, you play as um, the enemy Riola, who we haven't mentioned, but he's basically the shadow to, to Knights, which is kind of funny because Riola basically is a precursor to Shadow when you think about it.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh,
0: even in colors, in in the colors of his costume. But, um, yeah, there, there were also unlockables. George, what, what were you, some of your favorite unlockables? None of them. <laughs> Thanks no. for listening. No. <laughs> Thank
1: you. The, the show's over. Um, I don't know. Like, I never really played Christmas lights. like I told you. I got away later on, and I never really had a chance to sit down and play the game. See, to me, I always thought it was just the same thing, and I'm like, oh, cool, Christmas theme. I
0: ran around the track, and I'm like, cool. And it didn't, wasn't the unlockables like art and stuff like that? Yeah, what you did was you would unlock the chance to play a matching game. So you, you would, I believe, win certain chances to flip cards over, match them, and then get prizes. And so some of the prizes were a, uh, like a time attack or a link attack, a music box, a museum that hosed, you know, all the art you were talking about, a karaoke feature, which is kind of funny.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, a, yeah. I remember that. The yeah, karaoke. yeah. Uh,
0: videos. There was the Tokyo Game Show um, debut footage. There was, it, interestingly, there was like a merchandise page, which, <laughs> like, I've never seen Knight's merchandise in person. Um, but what I thought was really cool is the Nitopian collection, which, uh, as mentioned earlier, was the ability to see your AI and how it's doing and what eggs there are and what characters have hatched and how happy they are. Um, so that was really cool. And then, a certain Blue Hedgehog made his way into the game, too.
1: Um. Who? Um, I think I know, um, um, Sonic the Hedgehog? Nah.
0: Yeah, no. you're right. Uh, <laughs> So, I think the coolest thing, especially for Sonic fans, was the fact that Christmas Nights had an unlockable Sonic the Hedgehog, and so the game would become Sonic the Hedgehog into dreams, and the player could only run around on foot. And you remember, again, earlier in the podcast, George and I weren't that ecstatic about the free-running, no. so it's not, it's not the most fun, but it's cool to control a 3D Sonic. Um, do you remember the boss battle? At
1: least. Off the top of my head? No, yeah. I don't
0: remember the boss battle. It might have not
1: made it, uh, an impact on me. Can you refresh uh, my memory?
0: It's it's Puffy, the giant, uh, the big round lady, uh, okay. but it's yeah, turned yeah. into Dr. Eggman. Yeah.
1: Okay, yeah, okay, okay. Because I was thinking that there might have been, like, a special uh, boss. I, was, I didn't know if there was, like, maybe Eggman is actually in the bo- thing and I missed it. No, but yeah, I remember yeah. Puffy as the Eggman, yes
0: yeah, and the the music's actually a mashup of the um the puffy theme and then final fever from the Japanese version of Sonic CD. So at the time, I didn't make that connection because obviously the the Japanese soundtrack didn't make its way to the west. but that's pretty cool. And uh, I guess a little piece of trivia is that that qualified as Sonic's first true three d outing because true. Sonic Jam, Sonic R, and Sonic three D all released in ninety seven.
1: So do you feel like a lot of these options they put in this game were kind of thought up for the f- original release, but they never had a chance to put it in? Like the uh, improvements to the A-Life a and uh, unlocking all these things, do you think it would have improved the overall package in the original game if they were just
0: included in it? I think the Night Opium collection should have been included. Um, I mean, as mentioned, it I, b- I believe it reads your original file, so this is almost the closest we have ever gotten to a bonus disc for a game, you know, like the extras. It's like, Uh,
1: um, I feel like this is something that they expanded on in Sonic Adventure, like where you could download uh, Christmas themed stuff in the Dreamcast, Yeah, Yeah. and it was like they couldn't have that technology at this time, so they decided to just put out a disc. And um, I kind of felt like Christmas Nights was inside of the original Nights, and then whenever um, Christmas came around, the game just changed that would have been more interesting i think for kids at the time because more people probably own the original nights and christmas nights
0: yeah yeah and i mean they they kind of rectified that because the later re-releases the ps3 and xbox 360 and steam release includes christmas nights so you know you don't need to go out and hunt around on ebay for this you get it with the new release but um The initial release was interesting because Christmas Nights, it was not sold in stores. I mean, it was and it wasn't. So basically, the disc was bundled with issue 14 of UK's Sega Saturn magazine. And that's the first time, I believe, that it made its way out there. And then it saw limited distribution across the rest of the world. So in Japan, it was given away in a console bundle and... It was not sold separately, however, it did have a plastic jewel case case that matched the Saturn library. So that's kind of cool. Um, And then in North America, the game was actually given away with the purchase of select Saturn games, like Daytona USA uh, Championship Circuit Edition. And these versions were given away in a cardboard slip case to cut costs, which is kind of a shame, but then again, I can't imagine them giving it away in what were the Saturn cases, those giant... Bulky pieces of crap
1: in uh, yeah um, in America like that's such a mistake like those things you just look at them wrong like if you stare at your Sega Saturn cases in the U S like the hinges break I'm like what the hell dude I know I just looked I at know. you
0: <laughs> I moved and I I I'm afraid <laughs> to open that Saturn box it's just gonna be like confetti uh <laughs> and interestingly the game was also available to rent at Blockbuster Video in America. I don't remember that personally, but I can imagine had I rented it, I would have quote-unquote lost it. Because if that was one of the only ways to get the game, of course you'd be like, Oh, Dad, I lost it. Can we pay the... Like, what would you pay? Because they can't replace it. It's not like you're like giving it a price. It's It's free.
1: uh, It's almost (laughs) like they should have just like given it away at Sega Saturn uh, retailers, but you know uh, Sega Saturn, I mean, uh, at, a uh, Blockbuster retail stores, like, oh, come in, rent a game, and then you get the game, for, like, rent a Sega Saturn game and get the game, get Christmas night for, for free, that's yeah. what it should have been, it's whatever, I guess, well, that would have been <laughs> smart, yeah, that would have been smart to get new people in your store to rent Sega Saturn games, and s- s- they get to give out their copy of the game, I guess, or demo, or whatever it is, it's like an expansion yeah. pack, really.
0: And so that, that I mean, you know, it's I, I would deem Christmas Nights as a separate release, a separate, kind of a separate game, because it, uh, it builds off the original, it uses your original save file, but it also is standalone. Um, but it, it's just interesting what a strange release history that had. And I, I think the only game that would probably come close from Sonic Team later on was Choo Choo Rocket, which yeah. had some pretty strange release strategies in other parts of the world. Um, do, when did you get uh, Christmas Nights and add it to your collection? I got it pretty early on. I think I bought it when I bought my Saturn.
1: Okay, yeah, so... it's cause it's... I only had Nights for the longest time and I didn't even know this existed until like I start, I got a computer and I started researching more and looking at like, oh wait, there was one that was themed as Christmas and of course at that time I'm like, gotta have it, right? Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, it was easy back then to get Sega Saturn games. Not all the games were easy to get back then, but most of the games that are considered really rare right now were pretty easy to get back then. And uh, it's a shame that they're so rare now because almost every uh, Sega Saturn game that was released in the United States is considered rare now. <laughs> it's ridiculous, but yeah. Uh, this is definitely worth picking up. And if you don't have... Uh, a sega saturn or want to spend i don't know how much it's going to cost you to get both how much are they going for right now
0: if you want to check I, I we've never done this on the show but i think this would be interesting yeah give it a so check let's see so let's see christmas what? nights and this is a live ebay search Ooh,
1: live ebay search um <laughs> they also have it on psn i think it's 15 Holy bucks sh- how much is it it's ridiculous isn't it
0: they want like Uh, I got it for like a couple of bucks, dude. I got it for a couple bucks too. Let's see, so 75, I mean, okay, let's remember. If you're not an avid eBayer, always remember that the buy it now cost is not the going rate. This is, these are crazy people who wanna make that amount of money. You gotta look for auctions that are just auctions. So let's let's weed those out. So this one's a (laughs) zero bids, $55 starting price. Um, The Japanese version is actually very cheap. I'm seeing it for 99 cents, $1.99.
1: You don't need need to know. Uh, You could just get in Japanese, to be honest, if you're you're really looking forward to it. If not, there's always the PSN re-releases, and they're worth buying anyway. Um, Anything you want to tell
0: them? Uh, You can get Nights into Dreams for a lot cheaper than Christmas Nights, that's for sure. (laughs) um but but uh as i've said in just about every episode of sega talk save for sonic 06 unfortunately this is a game you definitely need to catch and play and everything (laughs) you know it's just it's so good it's such a good game
1: and if you guys like like this podcast give us a positive rating on itunes we're also on stitcher radio and we have an rss feed on our site segabits.com merry christmas enjoy your guys's holidays and play some christmas nights
0: now let's open some Twitter presents and finish the show as we do, at least in the past few episodes, by reading people's recollections and memories of Nights into Dreams as the music plays. So Corey Maru, who's actually a Segabits writer, says basically the development concept that Azuka-san put into the game where it focuses on a person's dreams based on personal issues. So these are their favorite things. Um, we have Since species. That's a name. It says, it's such a free-spirited, kind-hearted game with no negative vibes at all. It's a feel-good game, and that definitely echoes our initial thoughts where we couldn't find any edginess to this game at all. Viper XMNS says the speedy, free-flying gameplay, awesome soundtrack, character design, environment, and high skill play. Will we agree? (laughs) Troy Evans Monroe just says short
1: very short comment
0: <laughs> i guess he likes short games i don't disagree i don't have much time to play games so i love him short uh and then finally 8-bit underscore able says that nights is a really is really a special game i even dreamed about it once
1: i guess it's time for us to go to bed today right and, uh, about nights.
0: yeah all right well good night george good night to our listeners thanks for listening
2: We want to There's nowhere I'd rather be But here with you The stars above like the way Only for you and I I'm so glad Oh. Someone who really cares oh, yeah. In the night, Jane light, I want to see you smile